You're listening to Work Tape, episode 13. Welcome to the Work Tape podcast. I am your host, Isaac Grover. And with me again is... Gregorio Jimenez. Yes, for week two. At least what we show you. Anyway, so yeah, uh, today uh, we're going to talk about music geeks or audio engineer elitists. Or like, you know, those people that call themselves audiophiles. Yeah, audiophiles. Yeah. People that like audio just a little bit too much. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 Or people that think they can hear the difference between two things. I don't know. There's people that actually can. There are people who can. Yeah, you're right. I'm just kidding. Oh, oh, okay. I'm making a joke. Well, I was going to take your joke as fact. I okay. was going to trust you that you're telling me the truth. There are some things that I can tell the difference between and some things that I cannot. And so, I'll be honest. Okay, let's be specific here. Okay, so like I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like I sometimes can tell the difference between certain things. I'm not the type of person that's going to tell you that something sounds orange or something sounds blue okay. or purple or whatever. But I can sometimes I can if I know something's like qualities, I can kind of tell the difference. Sometimes if something's like overly compressed or like under compressed or maybe if certain frequencies are like higher or lower, like I don't know them specifically by number, but like, you know, I can go in and be like, oh, your mids are too high. It's probably around like 2K or like, you know, or maybe like 2.5K or something like that. You know, I could probably go in and talk about that. Those are pretty uh, standard things, though, in the audio world. I mean, it doesn't really sound like you're being too difficult to please, I guess. Yeah, but there are definitely people that are like, oh no, it has to be analog and it needs to go straight to vinyl. Right. And so the means, we're talking about the means here is that some yeah. people, not every mean is created equally from engineer to engineer. That's what it seems like. Yeah. And there are definitely people that have like their own niches and their own spots, you know, when it comes to like things or their own sound, their own aesthetic. Yeah. Which vibe. they purposefully do to get a purposeful result. Yeah. And that's why there's a difference between someone who's a professional and someone who's not sometimes, you know. Okay. So how do you feel with when it comes to like the elitists and like audio engineering? Like, I think some of it, maybe to an extent, might be somewhat warranted because I think some people. I mean, there's people that have been working know, in this field longer than we've been alive. Right. So respect, right? Yeah. You know. Like those people have experimented and they know what works for them and what doesn't. Yes. And some of them still to this day are still experimenting and trying to find cool things to do. That's true. And then there's other people that are very cookie cutter about things. They're like, you know, drums or their drums are going to be exactly the same way each time. Their vocals are going to be processed or are going to sound or have a certain vibe to them every single time. But what is to be said about the people who put, um, they apply objectives to subjectives? What about those people? Um, care to explain what you mean by that? Sorry. So people who take these subjective truths, like it's really preference, but they try to say, no, you can't do that way or you're supposed to do it this way. I mean, that's kind of like how people get into like creating their own brand or their own, um, sound sound, in a sense, because like, you know, there are, for example, like there's a lot of people that know and do the Glenn Jones technique for miking overheads really well. You know what I mean? And then there's other people that have no idea how to do it. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea how to do that. It's okay. And like not a lot of people do and not a lot of people mic drums like on the daily and stuff like that. That's true. I actually do not mic drums at all. Yeah. Yeah. And if that's you ever not... need a person, let me know. All right. Yeah, yeah it's not my area. So yeah, <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll have to let you know. So it can be my area. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah man. Everybody got to learn. Yes. You, you got to learn today. You got to learn. We're going to learn today. <laughs> <laughs> um, But I think sometimes, I think a lot of times it's kind of unwarranted because there are many people who they have things they want to do, right? You know, a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people really do know what they want. I mean, a lot of elitism also comes from, I think it can stem from like a couple things. One of those things could be insecurity. Well, that's one thing. But the other thing I was going to say is potentially things like gatekeeping, you know, like they want to keep their own. No, I won't put a gate on you. I think you sound fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like. Terrible. But I didn't mean it like in that way. I meant it more like, you know, a lot of people like to cannibalize other people's work. Yes. Especially like in the indie world, because there's not a lot of work right now, even though there is. Right. Not everybody wants to pay for it. And a lot of people like to cannibalize other people's like paid jobs and whatnot. Yeah, that does happen a lot. And it's unfortunately. really toxic sometimes. But then a lot of times, like it also makes sense. Like this is how people pay their bills and do, you know, people live off of this, you know. 
That's yeah. true. It's yeah, kind of like true. a soft topic to talk about, but at the same time, like it's very true. Yeah, better that than hot topic. Even though they have some cool shirts. Yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. But anyway, um, I agree with you, man. I agree with you. Um, yeah, and this isn't me being like all negative about like the industry and stuff like that, but it's very true. And it comes across a lot like, uh, what do you call it? Like there's some people that even never grow out of that like high school mentality where they're like, oh no, like if other people are working, I'm not going to have work type thing. And it's kind of like, no, like sometimes you want to give work to your friends or pass on gigs to like your friends and whatnot, because like, yeah, that's how you grow and you make your own team sometimes. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think a fundamental to business really is networking for sure. Absolutely. I mean, you can't build a city on your own. I guess you could try. You could in theory, but I mean, if you could clone yourself like a thousand times, maybe. Right. You see, that would, man. Okay, fine. Nice loophole. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, if you just were you couldn't clone yourself, okay, and there's no other loophole, (laughs) good luck trying to build a city on your own. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's definitely valuable to have many different people in your corner because you can't do all the things that those other people can do. Maybe you can do it to an extent, but it's good to stay in your areas sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes. I mean, think about it like this. A MIDI drummer is never going to be as good, in my opinion, or it's not going to give you the same feel. Nice save, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah. In my opinion, it's not going to give you the same feel as a real drummer. As an acoustic kit guy drumming on an acoustic kit, right? Or I guess maybe... There what are about really... a person drumming on an electric kit, though? Oh, well, I mean, that's different. You have the feel of a real person. Fair enough. You have that lack of quantization, that lack of time, the feel, the groove, the pocket. Right. You know, stuff like that. Even despite the humanizing effect. <laughs> yeah, in a sense. Yeah. I mean, that can only get you so far. And here's the thing. If there's a lot of people doing it, mm-hmm. you're not going to sound unique. And that's one of the things that I've been struggling with myself because right. I do everything myself, like when it comes to my music. Right. So there's a pride that you have with it because yeah. you're like, hey, you cannot duplicate this just with the machine. Yeah. Don't try to insult me and by saying that you can. Yeah. And that's why, like, for my friend's track, I was like, look, this could feel huge with real drums. So if you don't mind, I could record some drums for you. If you like them, we keep them. If you don't like them, that's fine. Right. And we so the there, track as is. There was a no risk there, right? Like yeah. if, if he didn't want them, then you guys weren't you weren't gonna charge him for it, right? No. What was the response? He was down. I mean, he's a close friend of mine. So and then we got another close friend of mine to play the drums. Okay. So we're gonna merge all the tracks. We were gonna do it later today, but we're actually gonna do it tomorrow. Okay. Solid. Yeah. So we're gonna merge the drum tracks with that. And then I was doing some very light processing just to kind of get myself like a feel of what they would sound like processed and whatnot. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get you back with the dad jokes. It's okay. I'm going to come back at you with some more dad jokes. So just uh, stick around. Don't call it a comeback. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So on elitism, how do you take it when people get like that? You know, they get a little bit too much about the gear and less about the process. Yeah. Or not even that. Like a lot of people focus on gear instead of like on the actual stuff that you use to make it like you can literally have probably like something that is musically amazing and somebody's going to be like what did you record this on and you'll be like oh focus right they're like ill so immediately to validate it, it because immediately they didn't, ju- they didn't everything judge it based head. on how it sounded rather what they do is they try to find an area where they can just kind of get you yeah because then they're going to be like oh so why aren't you using an apollo twin or like Oh, did you get me one for my birthday? Uh, yeah, literally. You want right? to buy me one? Yeah. Because <laughs> yep. they're so affordable, right? Right? Yeah. You have a yeah. spare one? You have a spare U87 just laying around? Yeah. Or you know what? Do you have any like <laughs> Telefunken microphones available? Right. <laughs> I mean, one thing I do say is like, if you can borrow gear, borrow it. Like That's so true. What DAW do you use right now? Right now for mixing and recording, I like using uh, Pro Tools because it's available at my school and they have like a room where I could use, you know, the stuff. Chilling. And they have like in the other room, like in the music department. But it's the funny part is that room is like a satellite section of like the film department. Okay. But um, they have like a mic locker with a bunch of like microphones and like, you know, audio gear and stuff like that, too. So I've been using Pro Tools there for about six or seven years. But um, on my own back home, I like using Fruity Loops. Do you have one that you prefer? Um, I mean, the thing is, I've always been of the mind of just like it doesn't matter what you use. What matters is what you get. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. So like for like two years in high school, I used like Reason, like Propellerheads Reason. 
I bought like a CD for like reason in version three. I think they're like on version 12 right now. Was that a good reason? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got it for like 40 bucks off of the dude. It was like the genuine CD and everything. He was like, yeah, man, I just never really used it. So you can just give me 40 bucks. I was like, sure. That is a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I used that for like a couple of years and then I moved up and I tried using, what was it? Reaper and Logic. Mm-hmm. I wasn't too into those, but I was taking classes for Logic, so I didn't mind using it there. And again, there's nothing wrong with these. And I think just if you can get it to sound good, that's good enough, especially nowadays that like the music industry is so indie and you can get good enough stuff to where you can practically make an entire album in your bedroom. Okay, let's say you want like studio quality vocals, right? Yes, you can get some ones under like 500, but you know, you can get one maybe around a $500,000 range, get a really good preamp. Yeah. And then uh, isn't that pretty much? Yeah. So a lot of your sound for your microphone is affected by the preamp. Yeah. The industry standard for a long time, in my opinion, it felt like from like what I've talked to most professionals. The pre-73? No, the MSS-10. But that was like big studio stuff. Like they're the same preamps that... um. The or, that they use Sorry, to record the like Neve the Neve 1073. I don't know why I call it the pre 73. I'm so used to hearing pre 73. Gotcha. Yeah. Neve is kind of yeah, like the Neve 1073. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Neve and then the MSS 10 by Martin Sound, I believe it was. Yeah. And then there was, oh crap, there was another one that was like really big too. I don't remember what it was called, but there was like these like, don't worry, it remembers you. <laughs> I just dabbed. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, stuff that people consider like industry standard or whatnot but nowadays like if you were to put it by numbers Mm -hmm. industry standard could technically be like a focus rate it's subjective right i mean think about it like this it becomes a standard because everybody does it true and there's a reason why pro tools has been the industry at least trusts it even though pro tools crashes on me way more than fruity loops i'm gonna go out and say that never I don't think I've ever had. Okay. Well, I mean, it could also be an issue with the computer because uh, we're using the Trashcan Mac Pro. I think you're right. Yeah. Because that happens to me with Logic sometimes. But really? It's, yeah. And I've heard people talk about how stable um, Logic, Logic is. is. Right. But then I've also read about how some people say that it's not stable at all. And so I'm kind of in the middle where Logic almost always works. What I like about Logic is it without fail will offer me the auto-saved version. Oh, yeah. Always like it's just perfect. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a double edged sword, though, in and of itself. Yes, it is. OK, so let me rewind. It actually says, do I want to continue with where the autosave version? Yeah. Or where? Yeah, basically. So it does give me that option. But yeah, I mean, that's also one of the reasons why people always recommend you create different versions of your projects whenever you make major changes. Yeah, but not everyone does that until it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one thing that I always do. I do like the fact that Pro Tools always backs up, though. At least I have it set where it backs up, like, what, every five, three minutes? Yeah, something like that. I have mine set up for 15, but that's just because, like, that's a little bit more general because I'm sharing a room with, like, 20 or 15 other students sometimes. That makes sense. A lot of that just kind of depends on, what was I saying? Something like Pro Tools being, like, the industry standard since, like, the digital age, basically. yeah. yeah. Which was what, like the 2000s, 80s. 90s, well, 80s? I know Pro Tools came about. Oh, it was something else. It was called something else. I can't remember what it was called, but it was in the 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And then Avid bought it or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Avid bought it. But um, that was after it was already Pro Tools for like a few years. I now. think so, but I can't remember. I do know that I it remember, wasn't from Avid. I though. took a class and this was like the first quiz that we had. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Chris, okay? It's <laughs> my teacher. <laughs> He's looking down in disdain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When it comes to like standard stuff, it literally just becomes standard, like we were saying. For the sake of being standard? Well, not only that, but it's just like, you know, miking techniques, for example. Like they became standard because they sounded good and they worked, you know. Tried and true. It was a method that worked. Yeah. And that's kind of like why certain things get put borderline on a pedestal or get overused or underused and stuff like that. Like Pro Tools and Neumanns and Neve 1073s. Yeah. And why people would always say, you know, what was it like? track on a Neve, mix on an SSL or the other way around, track on an SSL, mix on a Neve. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But do you know the reason why? Because of the sound that it just had? Yeah. So then the SSL, I believe. Because the SSL is an industry standard, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. For so sure. basically one console gave you a really nice warm bottom end. The other console gave you a really nice and warm high end. Yeah. So you would in essence get like a nice U, uh, U shape. 
right. or a smiley face curve. That as people tends put it. to be the Sonic character that I like in a lot of recordings. I do need enough mid. I mean, that's why a lot of people are always out. like, oh, you scoop the mids. See, it's funny because when people actively say to scoop the mids, they're completely gone and it just ruins the mix. Yeah, literally. You're just literally, terrible. Yeah. To me, the mids are an essential character. I mean, I'm not saying the, the lows and the highs aren't full of character, but the mids give me, it kind of gives me context. The mids give me context of what I'm I mean, dealing with. I mean, in essence, the mids are what cuts through your mix the most, if yes. you think about it. Yeah, you're right. Because when you're listening to it off your um, phone, right? Yeah, basically, you know, you don't really have... You have a little bit of the high end, but you hear more of the mid character. Yeah, and if you listen to a lot of the stuff that was, you know, supposed to be like the loudest or, you know, when it came to like the loudness war and stuff, a lot of that stuff was actually mixed the opposite in a frowny face curve because right. that curve is louder. So if you want a louder edge of your tone, you'd go for that. Right. Is that why I typically put the guitars in the mid when we, you know, when we're mixing, we typically cut that low and we sometimes cut the high. It depends on what you want. Yeah, it all depends on, I mean, people will tell you that, you know, standard would be, you know, creating this sound or creating that sound, depending on what genre or what style you're going for. Right. So like, you know, yeah, you could say that like, you know, feeding the mids of like your guitar and using that to be the place for the guitar could be where you want it. Right. But it just depends what you want to do for that particular sound. Yeah. Because like if you take a listen to maybe people like, um, who am I thinking of right now? I think it's like the Strokes. Oh, they're very midi. They're very midi. Super <laughs> Not midi. Not midi. Midi. <laughs> no, dude. They, oh my gosh. You or know, maybe even Queens of the Stone Age, for example. Queens of the Stone Age even still have a more balanced sonic character to the sound. But yes, it's funny because they debuted before Strokes anyway. But I feel like they almost, maybe the Strokes are the ones that kind of adopted from Queens a little bit. It when you could really be. think or about it, could it even right? be other people. Because if you think about it, that's, also because of but they like, are kind of mid you're right they're more mid but i would say queens is definitely just a little bit more balanced than like strokes because when i listen to the strokes it's such a boxy mix the strokes are credited for bringing out that indie sound that people want and that people like they're credited for ripping off the stooges yeah that's also very true <laughs> and iggy pop <laughs> yeah who were around i think around the same time as like um i'm forgetting that are you talking about from the late 60s yeah 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 Oh, okay. Are uh, they smashing? Are, Ooh. Am I thinking smashing pumpkins? Or am oh. I thinking somebody else? Well, I know pumpkins are like a 90s outlet. Yeah. No, it was the people that the smashing pumpkins were looking after. I think that's who I was thinking, Stooges and Iggy Pop. Yeah, Stooges, Iggy Pop, that New York garage rock yeah. sound that Jeff and I were talking about. It's funny because the Strokes really are, believe it or not, are my top 15. They're one of my favorite bands. My favorite bands are, uh, they are determined by how many songs I really like from them. Like, adore. Really? Yes. You don't just pick them by how much you like their sound? That's part of it, yeah. Okay. So typically it's, yeah, I have to like their sound. That's one. Part of it is based on them being an album band. I guess it depends on the artist too, because some bands like uh, The Wailers is a great example of an artist that there's a consistency from album to album. I don't like every album equally, but I like their changes that they've made. And each album, I'd say, is pretty equally good. It's just a matter of preference. When it comes to The Strokes, even though I think they are a really good band, they're not my favorite for albums. And they're definitely not my favorite sonically because they're engineers, whoever they've chosen for the last, almost all of them. In fact, Come Down Machine, that was from 2013, right? The, the red one with RCA. I think so, yeah. Yeah, Come Down Machine, I think, was one of the... Is that the one with 1251? Or am I thinking no, something No, 1251's from Room on Fire. Gotcha, gotcha. I think that's from Room on Fire from 2003. But um, is this it? I know. <laughs> is this it? <laughs> or is it This Is It? <laughs> I always get it mixed up between that and the Michael Jackson movie title. Oh, yeah. This Is I It? I think it's Is This It? I can't because remember. Because This Is It, I think, was Michael Jackson. Oh, I think, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm pretty I think... pretty sure. Is This It? Yeah, I think it's yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay, sorry. I'm going to get caught up in that. You're chilling, bro. No, they have some good stuff. But with the Strokes, I feel like their mix... I definitely don't like them sonically, personally. They're definitely more of a guitar band, you know, like where it's just about hearing those mid frequencies. But when it comes to albums, and everyone's going to hate me for this, and I don't care. I think, is this it? It's just one of the most overrated albums of the aughts. Just personally. In fact, I would easily take Turn On A Bright Lights from Interpol from 2002 and Russia Blood to the Head from 2002. Easily trumps Is This It. I think Is This It is a very important album, but it's extremely boring on the latter half of the record. 
In fact, it has a lot of really, really good songs, but I feel like it has even worse filler songs in the middle. Like for me, it just takes like maybe three really bad tracks to ruin a really good record. And I feel like Is This It was that. And then really? Room on Fire. Yeah. Room on Fire has some great songs. So what I'm kind of saying is that across the board, the Strokes are one of my favorite bands. They have so many good songs, but I just have never really felt that they were that good at curating an interesting album because if you listen to the Strokes, maybe that's your bag. Maybe you like it, but they'll have like these super cool songs like Reptilia, even uh, Juice Box. That's kind of how I feel with bands like Block Party, for example. I would actually give you that too. Yeah, because Block Party has some really cool peaks. Like what is it? Like Helicopter or something? Helicopter, like Banquet is a really good track. Yeah, yeah. There's this other one where I think they brought in a different singer. It's or so cold like in this house. Yeah. Like that one. Is it like glass? Eating Like eating glass? Like eating glass or something like that. Yeah. Silent Alarm is a really, really cool record, but I feel like... <laughs> but that's the thing. Like I, <laughs> You know what I mean? When it comes to some bands, I either know individual songs or I know albums, but I don't know both. Okay, that's fair. And like for me, Block Party and um, The Strokes are like that. Like I don't know their album titles. Got it. But I know like individual songs songs by them. And it's kind of one of those things where like you're right. Like their whole albums, if you listen to them, they don't feel cohesive. They don't feel like a story. Not really. Each individual track though, like there are some that feel like full albums or they kind of feel like a full on song or like a full story. Yeah. Like an album. But yeah. I think Radiohead's a great example of an album band. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Yeah. Because I actually, I think it was Rainbows. In Rainbows from 2007. Yeah. I could hear that album all the way through. But okay, computer, I can't. So let me rewind there again. Like I always rewind. Um, (laughs) I am not saying that Radiohead's, people are going to kill me for this. I'm not saying that Radiohead's beating a dead horse at this point. So Radiohead's (laughs) albums, I'm not saying that they're not good at albums. At the same token, I never said that I was really into it. Yeah. Because to me, Radiohead are absolutely like wine. Like some people get it, but many people don't. I think we talked about this, like putting them. And as weird as it is to say, also putting them on to the same spot, almost like Muse. In fact, I would put him, I would raise them even higher. I think Muse, in my opinion, does not touch Radiohead as far as they're different. They're totally different. You know, people, sorry, it's so hard to speak without people taking your words out of context. Muse do things that Radiohead do not do. And I think in a lot of ways can't because Matt Bellamy, for what he knows on the piano and the guitar and even his voice, even though they did rip off a lot of Tom Yorkisms, Muse did it really well. They do the hard rock band better than almost any other band. Right. But that's also Does the other thing. Like they're different genres. That's what I was going to say. They're completely, well, not completely, but they are different enough from Radiohead where I consider them to an extent apples and oranges. When it comes to Radiohead, though, their strength, I think, is different than what Muse's strengths are. I think Radiohead are really good at writing an objectively, and I mean, I mean this, I think they are very good at writing an objectively good album, but it doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Because I do not like OK Computer that much. I don't think it's I that- love individual songs from OK Computer. Same here. Like Same Paranoid here. Android is my favorite Radiohead song. Airbag's my favorite. My brother's favorite is uh, Karma Police. I used to hate that song until I, it got beaten to me by 98.7. I don't listen to the radio. That's another thing. This was like years ago. I think it was Alt 98.7 in, in LA. And I, dude, that came on every day. And I was just like, I hated that song from the beginning. Now I like it a lot. So from a young <laughs> age, I actually hated the radio. I felt like I got annoyed because, okay, I used to sit at the border a lot to cross to the U.S. And it was like the same song over and over again. (laughs) And I was just like, can they play something different? (laughs) So that's when like I I don't know how much it's. I think it was like I saved up something like 20 or like $30 from like Christmas and like my birthday. And that summer. I bought myself like a cheap little MP3 for like $30. Wow. And I was like on and off changing like the music on it like every, I don't know how often. Right. Pretty regularly. Yeah. (laughs) And that's kind of one of the things that I like later once I like finally got my own computer. Like I had something like, how much was it? I think it was like four weeks nonstop of music. Okay. Without repeating a song or an album unless it was like a deluxe version of that album. Oh, okay. Yeah. So how I did that was um, I used to buy and sell CDs in high school. 
Okay, that's pretty cool. So I would buy them, copy them to my computer. You're dealing CDs. Were you really doing that? Yeah, I was. What? That's how I would pay for like, you know, (laughs) random stuff to like go to, uh, (laughs) to like, you know, go out with my friends or get like lunch or stuff like that. I mean, dumb question. Isn't that technically illegal? I didn't know. I was like 13, 14. It was literally like I'd go, I'd copy. Here's the thing. I would buy the genuine CD, right? I love how they always talk about like you never steal a car, right? You know, and you would never download a house, 3D prints a house. Right. There are tons of people who download illegally, but don't sell it. Well, here's the thing. I didn't download it illegally. Okay. Oh, I yeah, bought, nice loophole. No, okay. no, no. I bought the full <laughs> genuine CD. Okay. I copied it to iTunes. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. And then from there, I would sell it. I sit corrected. So, and here's the thing. Until the I latter would, part where you sold it. Well, here's the thing. Like, I would be, I would take, I made friends with this guy that ran like a record store. This guy. In Escondido. Who knew this guy. No, no, no. So, I literally met, I was walking into uh, our. Was he wearing like a trench coat? <laughs> indoors no but there was one time this i walked in and there was okay actually i don't want to no 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 it's funny i know no no please continue i'm just okay so basically there's this guy named ustakio um if you hear this hello uh i used to buy used cds from him i would like go in and buy like seven eight ten it was like 70 80 bucks okay but like what i would do is i would take pictures of like the cds that he had and I'd be like, hey, uh, to like my friends or like random people that like I knew from school. Because in high school, you could talk to almost anyone. Be like, hey, would you be interested in any of these CDs? Or if you have any like uh, recommendations or whatever, I can get them for you. And they'd be like, oh, okay, sure. Because a lot of these people, like I mostly sold to like emo kids, right? Solid. That were not allowed to have or dress the way that they wanted to or whatever, right? Ooh, like their yeah. parents they wouldn't the let them. perfect specimen. So like that's how I got into like post hardcore and melodic hardcore. Not only from that. Oh, I also, love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. See, dude, emos are very, very valuable for that. Yeah, honestly, but nothing like, else. Just kidding. No, I listen to the same music. So yeah, I mean that's how I got into bands like Taking Back Sunday or like you know Thursday. Um, you like Thursday? I don't know who Thursday is actually. Uh, they always know Taking Back Sunday, but they never know Thursday. I know what is Sunny it? Day Real Estate. Like I that know old? the the. Oh, I like the the. The the is great. Dude, and same with Chameleons. Dude, the the. You like the chameleons? What? Yeah. They're pretty great. You mean like from the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? They have a... Oh, what is that song? Don't like, fall. Yeah, what? I didn't know you liked chameleons. I only know like a few songs from them. You're talking about the band from Manchester, right? The, the I, yeah, UK? the UK band. Yeah, that's sick, dude. They're pretty great. Okay, so... You should have been here when Jeff and I were talking about like alternative and post-punk. Oh, dude, I love post-punk and alternative. Bro, I grew up with that we stuff. We will talk about post-punk. This is now a post-punk channel. <laughs> Forget all of... Okay, well, reggae I mean, is cool too, but... My favorite post-punk stuff is actually a lot of like Beatles covers. You know, things like Dear Prudence oh, by like okay. Susie and the Banshees and so stuff like, like yeah, that. So like, yeah, post-punk bands covering the Beatles. Yeah, which is how I got in... Another way that I got into it because um, I grew up with that stuff. Yeah, Susie and the Banshees. I'm doing yeah. So the sound, the fall. Yeah, the the... The the's sick, dude. We need to talk more about the the. They're very underrated. A lot of people don't know them. <laughs> because they're so hard to search. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's like, it's like one of the coolest but most difficult names. It's Here's the thing. Time. It is such a great name that it's dumb. I know. <laughs> I love it. I think it's, I feel like it's very anti, like, it feels very nonconformist. Yeah. Kind of like, okay, so we could talk about like really cool, really dumb band names. Like sure. the Tony Danza tap dance extravaganza. Or King, what is it? King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. <laughs> that one's pretty funny. Oh, dude, there are some amazing names. Like, um, hey man, I was I was gonna wait for this one. I made a list of the worst band names I could possibly think of. Oh, we should we should go into that and come back and compare lists. Okay, well, before we get into that, Hoobastank, I think is one of the worst band names of all time. I actually think that's pretty great. I think it's terrible. Really? What well, makes you think that they're terrible? That, or that the name is the terrible. name is really? What do you like about? What does it? the name mean? I don't even I know what think it it's means. Goofy. I think it's I think it's goofy beyond repair. Yeah, like Hooba Stank. Like who's gonna come up with that? That oh, fine. Like for example, fine. That, you like, like the irony of how dumb it is. That's what you like. It's here's the thing. It's not as bad as one of my like guilty pleasure band, Limp Biscuit. I put them in there. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible. It's a terrible name, but I love the band. I feel like they are terrible. I ironically love them. I love them just like Attila. Do you know Attila? I've heard of Attila. But I remember going to parties with like emo kids or whatever. And they'd be like, shots for the boys. 
<laughs> it's like basically going to a party and then they're just playing gent with like wannabe like rappers on there that take that don't take themselves seriously. I don't think gent guys take themselves seriously. No, I don't think so either. Unless it's periphery, I guess. Periphery's sick. They're like a metal dream theater. Yeah. Or like a genty dream theater, I guess. Yeah, no, no, no. They're they're chill. I can hang with them. Yeah. I think Jared Dines toured with them. Oh. Or played with them, something like that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So if you like that, do you like animals as leaders or not really? <sighs> I want to like them. Here's the thing. Are you tired of the fan base? No, I'm tired and, of and and his so attitude. <laughs> this is gonna be a hot take, but I have that's what this podcast is built on. I know, man. but this one specifically might get me outed as a metalhead. I think that people have not been pushing the envelope in metal. I think and like rock and hard rock and stuff. I think I people think you're are generally stuck. correct. There are some people trying to, but they're getting outed as like hipsters and stuff like that. And oh, they're not, right. I feel like because of so the audience. So I think that's at the fault of the community. Yes and no. Because think about it like this. I still blame We can the get back anymore. into metal elitism and the same thing's kind of happening with like hip hop and stuff. I think a lot has to do with the community. Remember, uh, you know, Casey Musgraves, right? No. Really? Okay, so she's... I know Husker Du. Oh, I love Husker Du. Husker Du's pretty Dang, right. dude, you're speaking my language. <laughs> what the heck, man? So you're like, oh, like you like post-hardcore, you like um, post-rock, you like post-punk. All the posts. I just don't like the mailman. You mean mailman by Jesus Lizard? No, I'm saying... Do you like Jesus Lizard? I don't know who they are. I'm going to be honest. We'll check them out later. It's like the Dinosaur Junior days. I don't know who that is Primus. Either. Oh, Primus, yeah. It's like the late 90s, early 90s, yeah. Gotcha. So like um, right before... I don't know Like where, Three Days Grace got big and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before that. Yeah, it was that... Um, it, In fact, uh, Jesus Lizard sounded a lot like Fugazi. I'm not big on Fugazi. I'm going to be honest with you. That's chill. That's chill. But you like Minor Threat? Yeah. Okay, we'll see. That's cool. Okay, we're good. Um, I'm just kidding. What was I going to say? Wait, what's your favorite Minor Threat song? I'm curious. I just got into them. There are two songs about them that I like, so I can only remember the sounds. I'm not huge on gotcha. them. I'm much bigger on Fugazi. Gotcha, gotcha. However, however, what I've listened to from them, I really like. Okay. So my favorite... Personally, I'm not crazy. Like, I got really into like their EP, I guess. Like their... I know the colors of their albums. Like there's like that black and white one. There's a one with the sheep in it on the yeah, front. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that no, one I like. No, yeah, that is Minor Threat, yeah. Yeah, there was a sheep on it. Yeah, so that one. And then there's another one that's yellow. I think it's the guitarist or one of them. I think so. But uh, basically it's... Um, there sounds pretty cool though. I oh, do yeah. like it a lot. I mean, it kind of influenced the whole like straight edge movement. I mean, it, they started the straight edge movement if you think about I it. I guess DC like, started they it. They labeled it, yeah. Yeah. If you think about it. Because they're the ones that came up with the song Straight Edge, if you think about it. Oh, see, now that I didn't know. Yeah. That's pretty straight edge. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's other people that like, you know, are, what do you call it? Like copycats in a sense, but they took like a more, the straight edge movement was weird because it started off in like the punk scene, mm -hmm. but it moved more towards like the hardcore scene. Okay. The whole, it went from like punks to like, you know, those kids in like khaki pants. Oh, jeez. Like band shirts <laughs> and plugs. <laughs> and then they all wear van, the same type of vans. I'm not outing anyone because I kind of dress like that still on occasion. <laughs> yeah, that's chill. Yeah. It doesn't matter. We're like, all you can dress here. however you it's want. It's fine. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, but seriously, actually, everyone is a loser in their own way. That's just how it is, man. <laughs> everyone gets a toe stepped on. Everyone's a winner. Yeah. Everyone's a loser. We're everyone, all... right? <laughs> everyone equally loses. <laughs> yeah, if you think about it. That's, that's what I see. I mean, at the end of the day, we're all just on a giant floating space rock. Dude, all your cups are half empty. Right. <laughs> you know what? Maybe one of them is fully empty. For those struggling with depression, you you matter. Okay. But yeah. everyone else. I mean, people are valid. Their feelings are valid. You know, just, just you know, <laughs> don't force your, you know, your views on somebody else and you're chilling. Don't force your chill on me, man. Okay. You're not going to try harder to force your chill on me? No. Can I have some of your chill? Sure. I'm chilling. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible, but great. Unrehearsed. Um, so I wanted to talk on why the Strokes could yes. be much better. I think they're a good Here's band. I think they're important, but I really think that they are overrated when it comes to especially... I mean, think about it like this. There's always bands that did things... Okay, there's always bands that are accredited for starting movements or for starting genres and whatnot. But then people don't really look into the bands that influence them as much. At least they Bands didn't. From 40 years prior. At least they didn't until 
at least in the mainstream eye, until they started looking into like Kurt Cobain's like CD collection and stuff like that. Yeah. If you think about it, because there's a lot of people that are like super into the bands that influenced, you know, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. and Yeah. Everywhere from Gang of Four to the Beatles. I mean, it's a very wide palette. Yeah. And the fact that like he basically ripped off, you know, Killing Joke. Yeah. For one of their songs. Supposedly. did. I mean, I listen to both of them. I hear the similarities. The riff is the same up until a certain point and then he elaborates on it. 80s. Living in the And 80s. I have to push. And I. <laughs> yeah. It's a great song. Dude, Killing. So you killing, like Killing Joke. Yeah, Killing Joke is great. Love Like Blood. Oh, I don't think I know that one. It's because, okay, think about it like this. A lot of what I learned was just from like, or from post-hardcore. That's fine. Not post-hardcore, sorry. Post-punk. You're chill. Was, um. What my mom showed me. That's still cool, though, that your mom yeah. showed you so much. Even though I'm not going to lie, it's some pretty depressing stuff. Yeah, in a sense. But like, yeah, I'm not sure if I would. Um, I'd be a little bit mindful because I mean, I'm not sure if I'd show my kid closer by Joy Division because it's really. I mean, here's the thing. My mom didn't depressing. show me like that. She showed me some stuff, maybe like Susie and the Banshees or like. Okay. Latin and Hispanic, like post-punk and new wave. So many good bands. Yeah, people I, like Soda Stereo or... Um, it sucks because I can never say their names, but like I've been like binging some of the ones from Mexico, some of the ones from Russia, Soviet Russia, like Kino. I love Kino a lot. Another interesting There's thing so that many we could talk about would so-called be... so-called foreign post-punk bands that are just... They're so good. Here's the thing. That sound was I don't think America did post-punk that well. I, I, I'm just being honest. Well, I, I mean, name I an American post-punk band. Uh, well, most of the ones that come to mind are revival bands. Okay. I don't remember where Killing Joke are from. I don't think they're from the, uh, the Where's US. Where's Pill from? They sound American, but I could be wrong. That's what I'm saying. Because there's some bands. Like, I thought Susie and the Banshees. The reason why I don't think that America Wait, did. Wait, where's Susie and the Banshees from? Susie and the Banshees. Uh, that I don't know. Yeah. We need to do our homework. We do need to do our homework. But to be fair, most of the post-punk bands that even come to mind are usually from Manchester or anywhere or from like the UK. Or like the UK, yeah. Yeah, like even... Oh, they're from London. Even you 2 are from Ireland. And they did start as a post-punk outlet. I mean, and Soda Stereo is actually Argentinian. Yeah. And even though the police have been lumped together in like the new wave, you I mean, know... Same with like Blondie, I guess. Yeah, like, I mean, aren't they from New York? I don't know. I know. Okay, so here's I, the thing. So here's the when thing. it so comes to music, television and, me, and Talking Heads are both post-punk outlets, and they're from New York. I will give them that because those are some of the coolest bands I've ever listened to. I love Television and Talking Heads, but when it comes to most post-punk acts, not a lot really are significant enough where they come to mind, unless they are revival bands. Really, like, like Interpol and The Killers are definitely revival bands. Yeah, I could see that. But when it comes to like your classic 70s, 80s post-punk, I know there are some. I'll have to listen to some. I'll probably mention some in a future podcast, do my research and realize, okay, well, all of these post-punk bands that I like. Are from the U.S. Are from the U.S., right. But I'm going to stand my ground as far as to say that. here's the thing. The vast majority and the ones that come to mind are all from outside the U.S. Typically UK. Yeah. Typically. And here's the thing. Like UK had this specific sound, if you think about it, especially for the time. Even the Smiths. Um, Dude, the, riff. <laughs> the Smith, Sorry, um, uh, everything, everything. Preference. I've been wanting to talk about everything, everything for years. I mean, they're a great band. And they're from seen the movie SLC Punk by any chance. No, I would say give it a shot. It's pretty cool. I should check it out. It was it's mm, I won't say anything else about it. No, you're fine. You'll figure it out. <laughs> OK, so The Clash, they're from the UK. They're from the UK. Yeah. So, I mean, most of the significant ones. It doesn't mean that the ones that are underground. In fact, typically the underground ones, I think sometimes are the coolest. But because post-punk was part of the alternative scene, an alternative was not as big as the Scorpion, White Snake. Uh, Winger. Yeah, it wasn't. And here's the thing. Even Winger wasn't that big in the US. No, but alternative is, has always until Nirvana with the mainstream thing. Alternative was still a pretty mellow genre. Yeah, it wasn't it. as big as the hair metal. It wasn't. Like, that's what I remember people talking about. Like, otherwise, we would have been talking about Husker doing Sonic Youth before we were talking about Nirvana. That's also true. And that's the other thing that I was getting at. It's like, you know, a lot of these bands didn't see a lot of quote unquote mainstream no. um, appeal until after. Even like, Pixies. For example, Pixies. Pixies yeah. are an, a hyper important band in popular music. Right before Nirvana, we're like, okay, we got really big, right? I mean, they were they were doing stuff, and 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 I'm not saying they no one knew who they were, but quite a lot of people 
didn't know of them until no until Nirvana, which and is then when weird Nirvana got about. well known, yeah, a lot of these bands. Oh, what? Like, oh, check it out. What? Like, this is a new style of music. Like, no, it's not. It's been around for a long time. So, question for you: um, Since you like like post punk and new wave, yes. Do you think? Okay, so I've had this issue where I don't know if it's an issue, but I'm so used to new wave being the word for post. You got a problem? <laughs> you got a problem with Do that? You, you have an issue? So yes and no. So like. I'm going to ask you this question. So I'm used to the new wave being the word for, or the name for like post-punk and stuff like that. Yeah. But a lot of oh, people synonymously, are synonymously. Synonymously. Okay. So, yeah. so what's your question? Sorry. So nowadays when people are making new music, they're like, oh yeah, this is new wave this, new wave that. I'm like, no, it's not. Because new wave to me is people like, you know. Duran Duran? No, no I was going to say like, to me still, that's still like Joy Division or like. Yeah. Bill or like um Okay, sure. Or like Susie and the Banshees, you know, all those names. That's what I know New Wave as because M- that's Men what, at Work, pol- yeah, the men Police. At, I mean, yeah, basically, yeah. If you think about it, like although that sound of the Even Talking Heads is the New Wave sound. But supposedly. nowadays people are like, "Oh, like when they're referring to New Wave, they're talking about like new contemporary like pop music or like rap and hip hop and stuff like that." And it's like that's not really new wave but i guess if you guys are calling it the new wave of this it can't okay so yeah i mean i guess i guess your answer really would be a yes and no i mean yeah you could see why yes what they mean by new wave but no it's not new wave in a traditional sense yeah that's basically what i'm asking so i think new wave so you're asking my opinion on it like what do i what do i say to that yeah well is it first off how similar is it to the most popular style of new wave was from the 80s? That's like the most well-known. That's kind of like what people know it as. Correct. And in fact, we even had um, with the revival of post-punk with like the Killers and Interpol, even the Strokes was part of that. You know, the garage rock sound. I mean, people even considered Devo to be like new wave. Do, so Devo was a punk band too. D- Devo did punk. They did uh, the post-punk sound and they also did... That like synthwave stuff. Yeah. They did the, which is what was their most popular stuff. That like 80s Oh, sound. I know. I, see, that was my least favorite iteration of Devo. I like... Really? That was actually my favorite. I could not stand that sound. Really? I liked... It. You're like, really? We're so aggressive with... <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying like, really? Like, that's surprising. Because <laughs> no. that's what I knew them as before I knew that they do that. They did that sound or did that stuff. My introduction to Devo was, I think, Whip It. I know. See, that's what I'm saying. I can't stand that song. It's just preference, dude. It just it happens. Just with preference. No, I liked, I used to say how much I hated Devo until I listened to their earlier stuff. And I realized, no, that's not true. You just hate their new stuff. I just didn't like that sound. The B-52, the quirky, which I like quirky. I like quirky a lot. So what's your opinion on people like Depeche Mode who kind of have that same sound, oh, they but definitely more mellow? Do. New Order do that as well. Yeah, New Order... I prefer... Oh, what am I thinking? Not Toy Matinee. So I take you one New Order and I raise you one Joy Division. That's kind of my take on things. I typically prefer a lot of these bands when they were still in the punk slash post-punk outlet rather than when they got super... You say that, but their sound, the way that they were mixed and produced was never really that punky. It was more new wavy. Yes, but to be fair, new wave did stem from the punk movement. Oh yeah, definitely. That's kind of what I'm getting at. Of course, it's not... As traditional as people think. I mean, people take television and lump them in the punk category. Yeah. They do that all the time. They do that for both Talking Heads and I noticed they did it with The Clash. They did that with Talking Heads. And they I do mean, that if you with think about it, television. people say that people like Green Day and A Day to Remember are punk. Even though A Day to Remember feels a lot more post-hardcore and Green Day sure. feels more pop punk. Yeah, I mean. And all that is encompassed by the umbrella term emo. Yeah, a good example. I think emo was really a thing at least by the 80s. Ah. Uh, yes, because I don't think Sunny, it was coined. It might have been. I'm not saying it was or wasn't, but it definitely was an established sound for sure easily by the oh, 80s. Oh, yeah. I mean, that whole post-hardcore sound has been around for a minute. For it's a just, long time. There was a lot of people that got a lot more mainstream attention than those people. If it gets mainstream, typically you can expect a 10 or 15 year underground at least. That's, not always. But in most cases... We could do this with punk. We could do this with. Oh yeah, grunge. you could say that people For like most... Led Zeppelin or even who made the wall? Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yeah, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. They people were saying that they were basically making punk before punk existed. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's basically punk with good vocals. Like uh, you. So you like Husker Du? So even yeah, if you listen bit. to Husker Du or even like late '70s punk. You can hear a lot of things that Nirvana were doing that had existed for at least ten oh, or fifteen yeah, years. And people 
say that Nirvana that, was that, punk, I, even though they were more quote they're, unquote they're, grunge. They're, they're, they're actually um, you know who to blame for a punk sound? Hmm. Typically the drummer, not always, but typically the drummer. Dave Styling and being from the DC hardcore scene, at least with Scream, and then moving to, to Washington because I think he's from Virginia, so okay. he's from that area. Dave knew that sound. Chad Channing was drumming before Dave got into the band. I found out, and I didn't know this for a long time, I found out that Chad was kicked out. That broke my heart. Really? Because, I, yeah, I like what Chad does in the first record. Chad was there for Bleach, right? He was there for Bleach, yeah. He was, he Bleach, was I think, the, was way more punky than... Really? Than, yeah. I, I can hear what you're saying. Yeah, I can... Just the vibe, the aesthetic, and even the... Uh, the sonic quality of it felt I think more punk. the vibe aesthetic and the sonic quality and it being not super high produced like never mind yeah. definitely makes it more punk for sure and if you listen to Nirvana's earlier stuff I don't know how much of Dave Grohl's on Incesticide if he's on it at all I could be wrong I don't really know so no one get I mean, at me in for that in Retro or whatever Uter- in Utero in 93 yeah, yeah. But why it, am I saying Retro I'm- dude you're fine you're fine but Dave was on those last two Nirvana studio records, which yeah. literally only had three studio, like studio, not Incesticide, no B-sides, just yeah. three studio records, 89, 91, 93. The last two, which Dave was on, they are very hardcore and very punky. Mm-hmm. They are. Oh, kind yeah. Of, oh, yeah. easily. Yeah. Like you listen to Milk It, you listen to Scentless Apprentice. Dave's style is very much like I'm going to beat these drums up. Okay. I could see For that. their sound. If you listen to contemporaries, I know, um, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Smashing Pumpkins. I totally forgot his name. I forgot his name too. Jim something. Was it? Oh, Chamberlain. Jimmy, yes. Jimmy Chamberlain. Very jazzy rock drummer because of his all his roles. Yeah. That guy was amazing. He sounds like he was like a metal drummer. There are some isms of his drumming that reminds me a little bit of how Dave hits the kit. But Dave is not as technical. I mean, if we're going to get into like how people's backgrounds affecting their music, we can talk about Queens of the Stone Age or maybe even Deftones too. Oh, we'll definitely get into that. Yeah. But let's stick with the 90s scene because we'll get way too off topic. Oh, yeah. And we could go (laughs) even further back or even further forward and stuff too. I mean, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. So, I mean, I think it's fitting that, you know, you're bringing it up. But, you know, now we have Chad Channing. Now we have Chamberlain. Now we have Dave Grohl. But so Dave Grohl's and Chamberlain's drumming. I think are more similar than the drumming style for like Alice in Chains, in my opinion. It just depends on what you want. I mean, Alice in Chains kind of have Alice in Chains. I cannot talk. Okay, so Soundgarden. Remember the drumming in uh, Bad Motorfinger? Very thrashy. Like you listen to Rusty Cage. The drumming style is very punk driven. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing too. That's kind of like the cool thing about meshing people from different backgrounds and everything too, like in a band, you know? Like for when Metallica got, um, what's his face from um, Suicidal Tendencies, like their sound was a bit more solidified. No, I don't want to say solidified, but like it felt a little, I almost want to say thrashier for that first album when he came on and then they slowed down a little bit more after. Yeah. And I noticed a lot of grunge bands like by the 90s, some did the punk direction like Nirvana did, but some of them stayed kind of like slow. Yeah. And very like steady. And I noticed grunge typically lumps all these bands with very different sounds all together. You know what I mean? One thing that I would say that kind of links them together is kind of like... The sloppier sound? Yeah, that sloppy... Yeah. I was going to say borderline lazy sounding sound. Yeah, it's kind of slacker. It's like slacker rock. A lot of people would say that. But what I've noticed tends to differentiate a lot of these bands. Not all the time. It's not actually lazy, but it's got like that dragging feel. Well, of course it does. Yeah, I mean... Borderline sludgy almost. It's very sludgy. Well, I wouldn't say very sludgy, but it like, have you ever listened <laughs> to any sludge metal? Oh, yeah, yeah. You mean like doom metal? You're talking about like uh, the Melvins? Yeah, kind of like the Melvins. I love the Melvins. I felt like the Melvins in Bleach, Nirvana had a more of like a Melvin sound yes, than they, they do in any of their other yes, albums. Yes, they did. Yeah, they did not revisit that. Maybe they did a little like bit. Like example, and, and uh, you- Negative Creep. Negative Creep. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's the doom sludge metal sound, but that is still different. Than the very mainstream grunge sound. Oh, yeah. That, like, you know, what was it? Afghan wigs, all these bands, Silver Chair. Love Battery, for example. Yeah, you feel me, right? Yeah. yeah. Or even Bush. Oh, my gosh. I love. <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with Bush. Same here. Like, there are some songs that I just really like by Bush, and then there are some songs from <laughs> Swallowed. <laughs> or um, the things we do for the people that we love. <laughs> <laughs> I 
So that's their post-grunge phase. That's their post-grunge phase. Easily. Yeah. Because you compare that. I actually that. love that sound of them more. I like that sound more too. Yeah. yeah. Dude, you know what I can't stand? I know Jeff liked it. You know, everyone of you guys like it. I do not like glycerin. I actually didn't mind it. That's fair. I kind of, but yes, I do like what came after. What was it? 16 Stone? Is that the album? I think it was. The from brown 1994. one? No, from 1994. Oh, crap. I don't know. 16 Stone. I think it's from 94. And then there is that one with that guy in that gas, like the green one. Yeah, yeah. Is that from 90? No. No, nope. that's just 2000? Razor Blade is suitcase is from 1996. Okay, okay. That's one was swallowed and make up your mind. Yeah. I don't think I ever heard that one. Yeah. But yeah, there's for Bush, it's one of those things where like I got really into like very few songs by them. But they always the go, songs make, are like, make, make, make. Like they always <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man, if Bush. we're talking about them, we could even go down the Pearl Jam rabbit hole. Oh my god. You can only understand like two out of every seven words they they talk or the sing, whatever. One out of dude, I have a even flow. <laughs> And if we're going down that rabbit hole, we could even talk about Black Keys and Thick Freakness. <laughs> oh, no. That's a huge deviation, bud. <laughs> um, the similarities with a lot of these grunge bands really was the thread through the blanket, whatever you want to call it. What really threaded them all together really was, like you said, that slacker sound. Yeah. A lot of them. And I kind of feel like that mixed with like that. But the that backbeat kind of, of a lot of these, dr- uh, especially the drummers in these bands. Even the singing ability, like, I mean, that you all compare comes Kurt from like- versus Chris Cornell, they're very different as far as technical ability. Okay. I like Kurt Slacker, like the Courtney Love sound, whatever. I guess Courtney ripped it off. I don't care. Bottom line, I like that Slacker punk sound, right? But then you listen to um, Rolling Stone. Then you listen to Soundgarden and you're like, you know, you, you also like that too. You also like it where the singer is actually good. Yeah. I mean. It just depends. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I feel like there's, I mean, I've said this, there's like a niche or like a sound or even like a diff- specific mood to like listen to yeah. different artists. Like, for example, I love driving to Eurobeat. Oh, yeah. Do you know what Eurobeat is? Some music that sounds like from the anime, like Initial D and stuff like that. I've heard that term before. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I know people who actually all of you guys like anime. Go on. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for example, like I feel like that genre of music adds like five horsepower to my car. But if I'm listening to like Vaporwave or like, you know, lo-fi, I'm definitely driving a lot chiller. Right. That's fair. Yeah. Let me address that question because you asked me that question about like the new wave thing. Oh, yeah. Go for it. No. Um, and I kind of did touch on it. But yeah, for the most part, I think some of it's warranted. But new wave still, believe it or not, I know you believe it. Not everyone believes this. But new wave still was evolving in the 90s, even though people didn't think. They thought it was dead, right? But no, it was evolving. In fact... There was a certain sound of alternative that was like, oh, now we're mainstream, right? But it didn't mean that all alternative was mainstream. New Wave, I guess, probably was more popular in the 80s than it was in the 90s. In the 90s, it's almost like, where were the New Wave bands? Well, they were there. They existed. If you listen, you can find recordings. In fact, I actually can't tell you. There's albums that were released in the 90s, too. Yeah, that were still New Wave. I can't really tell you a lot of them because I wasn't listening to that. I was listening to like... Tracy Chapman and Nirvana. Like, that's what I like. Yeah. And my favorite sounds from the 90s were, you know, for example, like. Boys to Men. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't even say that. I was going to say like Green Day, for example. Like, I was super yeah. into like pop punk for the longest time. Right. And I'm that, still pretty into that. That got pretty mainstream because of Nirvana as well. Like, that got more well known than like the new wave. Yeah. And it was a lot of people lumped together grunge and punk. Yes, they do. Yeah. And a lot of people say that Nirvana is very punk. They are and i would say if they were i mean their mentality too and their attitude was very, was very yeah their attitude was very punk did you see their special when i guess they were um what do you call it goofing around pretending to play some of their own songs yeah i have seen that and like basically kurt is. is like messing around like singing the songs like the wrong way and stuff too yeah <laughs> that's very punk and then like when they were playing because basically they have to do playback except for kurt right, right. And like they were playing the guitars like all wrong and like stupid and playing the drums like wrong and stupid too. <laughs> well, because they knew how to have fun. Yeah. And I'm just saying like they stuff didn't take like themselves that, too seriously. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like that's like the attitude that I would say. So you're warranted right. Warranted that. And, and I a lot really... of people say punk is more of an attitude than like a music style. And I hate the people that say that and try to apply punk to hip hop and rap. Oh, well, that I completely disagree with. I, really? No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I disagree as I agree with what you're saying. I disagree with those people is what but I kind of meant to say. this isn't coming from like a gatekeeping type of thing. It's just like, you know, hip hop will never be rock and roll. 
No, it won't. It's never going to be that. Uh, it can be anti-establishment. I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah it yeah. can be anti-establishment. It can be empowering. It can be even like borderline anarchistic when it comes to like mentality. I think and you stuff. and I, um, I think there's a lot where we would clash in those areas. But for the most part, I actually really agree with what you're saying. Like I really have no disagreements with that. But here's the thing. I'm not trying to discredit people that are very anti-establishment like in the hip hop scene. Like for example, people like Wu-Tang. Yeah. And there's people nowadays that have no idea who Wu Tang even is. True. Like there was this Wu Tang. Wu Tang. Wu Tang. <laughs> Tang. Who? <laughs> the fizzy drink from Mexico. <laughs> Tang. <laughs> Sorry, terrible. No, that's fine. But yeah, I mean, yeah. There's people that will just. There's absolutely a punk mentality. I mean, to a things, lot of these people are just you, using get, it for the aesthetic too, no, like leather jackets. Studs. I know, I know, I know. Well, and again, I'm not trying to gatekeep, but no. at the same time, it's kind of like, if you're going to do that, at least cite your sources. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I did go on record with this saying that rock in a lot of ways is an attitude. I did say that in another episode, I was talking about how punk, I don't think I said that. I probably did. Right. But let's just say, let's just say right now, I can't remember myself saying that punk was only an attitude, but punk generally musically is categorized in a lot of ways, not all the time, but in a lot of ways by the drumming style. I mean, yeah, if you think about it, there's, that's Does that why make, there's, do you kind of get what I'm saying by that? And that's generally why speaking, if we're going to talk about stylistically, the drums tend to, yes, the guitar too, but the drums for sure definitely well, determine. I mean, think about it like this. Look at punk crossover bands that mix punk and thrash metal. Yeah, there are a lot of those. Like Dirty Rotten Imbeciles or Iron Reagan, which was... I mean, that's what thrash is, though. Punk it tends to be the backbeat of a lot of it. Yeah, but if you think about it like this, like thrash came from basically bands like Metallica wanting to play like their heroes, people like Motorhead, but faster. Okay, yeah. It basically sounds pretty similar to punk, though. Yeah, no, it does. But think about it like this. There was a different playing style and a different... So you don't think those metal bands, value. you don't think that thrash bands were traditionally influenced by punk bands? Well, I definitely think they were. Like, that's what I That's what I think. Like, if you listen to Iron I Maiden, if you listen to all of that. There's I, like a heaviness to it, both in production and in playing stuff. There's like more weight to it. It's but like, there's also hardcore punk, meaning that there's always such thing as. I mean, that's why I'm talking about like, you know, there's that. And then there's like crossover stuff like DRI. Okay. Like yeah. Iron yeah, Reagan yeah. And stuff you, like that. you did say that. I agree with you. And I'm not saying that these styles are separate. Cause like you can probably umbrella term them all too. People do all the time. Yeah. All people do umbrella terms. People just say that they're metalheads. <laughs> That's the irony. And some people say that. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then there's people that are saying that they have really vast music taste because they listen to 37 different genres of metal. Oh, well, I listen to 38. Oh, oh, only 36 and a half. Just kidding. Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, there is different, you know, within the term metal. Yes. People like to separate punk from metal, even though they both kind of come from I the same space. I think I agree with you. And it's like people who try to take, they like to split alternative and punk too much sometimes. Well, I mean, I would I say can see that where they're different. They're definitely different, but alternative did come from the same atmosphere where punk would also become. I mean, they're all, you know, spreading roots of the same it's like tree. This family. Yeah, it's a family. Yeah. Just one big family. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, what do you call it? You dig? <laughs> I mean, people were considering Avenged Sevenfold to be alternative instead of like thrash or metal for a long time. I think there are alternative elements because I remember when I was talking about, you know, there's this post-hardcore band under oath, right? Oh, Under Oath. Right. They're both alternative, but they're also influenced by metal. I don't care what you say. You just have to accept the fact that by my time, by the time I was in high school, whether you liked it or not, two genres that seemingly were polar opposites just happened to mesh together. Yeah. It happens I mean, all the time. Look at like the direction that post-hardcore and melodic hardcore went. Like they're incorporating like pop style vocals and everything yeah. too. Yeah. And they've been doing that for about 10 years or more now. Right. It's not out of the ordinary. Maybe at one point it was, but I mean, like bands like Atreyu, for example. Yes, that's true. Like they were heavily yeah. loved by like the emo community. Rightly so. Yeah. I, I, I feel you, dude. You know, and to kind of mention your point, I think new wave, maybe people are misusing new wave. Um, I mean, here's the thing. A lot of it's just marketing. Oh yeah. You're, you're right. But I do think that there is such thing as modern new wave. It just depends on... I'd, I would have to listen to it to kind of really gauge that. Because you know what? I have heard a lot of new wave elements in pop rock stuff today. 
it's interesting, you know, like the way they do their things. I'm like, ah, I can hear where people are basically correct in the way they designate this to be, whether they say this is new wave or not. I think that a lot of times that they're actually kind of correct. Yeah. Technically. I mean, here's the thing. We can get into semantics or specifics. And we will. And we have. Yeah. So like, you know, <laughs> we can literally dig deep and find out where these roots come from. And it could be that a lot of bands... While they're heavy as heck, they might even have like ballads and stuff too. Yeah. You know, I think Metallica has like The Unforgiven, for example, or Bullet for My Valentine has like, you know, your tears don't fall. They crash around me, stuff like that, you know? Yeah, they do. You're right. Wow. Yeah. No, dude, it is a rabbit hole. Let's touch on the pop punk. Uh, sorry. Let's touch on the post punk. Yeah, we can. We'll update we'll you lists. on those American post punk bands. <laughs> I can't believe my mind. <laughs> I know the revival, but I'm not really good at knowing a lot of the American ones. I know the sound, the fall, all of that stuff. I think those are UK guys, dude. Oh, I mean, I just Googled it. We'll see if we find. Oh, Devo's American, apparently. Okay. Taking Heads, Rem, uh, Violent Fiends. Oh, R.A.M. Yeah, yeah. Or Fem. Is it Violent Femmes or Violent Fiends? I think it's Violent Femmes, but I could be wrong. Yeah, they're the ones that did Gone Daddy Gone. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Were they from New York? I don't even know. But yeah, a lot of like. Oh, the cars are American and so is Blondie. Oh, see, I got to be honest, dude. A lot of that's very new wavy. Yeah. Uh, Lydia Lunch. I don't think I've ever actually heard of her. Huh. Apparently she's been around since the 70s, though. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, you know, today, this is this is the work tape episode. Dude, I don't even know what episode it is. Is this episode 13? Yeah, episode 13. Yeah, this was Gregorio, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. But we'll see you later in that uh, Peace. Cool.